Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 065. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, there are a few people in this world who like the braggarts, the know-it-alls, the ones who have to one-up everybody around them. But the same motivation that drives them can also infest the rest of us like a virus. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I worth anything in what I do or even who I am? These are some of the questions we'll tackle today. Check it out. Well, between being a musician and standing up in front of people speaking, I've got to be at about a thousand times of being up in front of a group. And while it gets the adrenaline pumping, certainly, as I walk down those stairs and come down here, it doesn't quite have the same overwhelming impact as it did when I started out. I actually remember my first live gig as a musician. I was playing drums my sophomore year for the praise band for Campus Crusade for Christ out at Illinois State. And the only time I'd ever played live for somebody, I think, was when I was auditioning to get that gig. So this was the first day I was going to play in front of 100 people. Now, the way we were set up physically, we had this big room, and then we had a relatively small or thin stage. And I was the only one on it. All the other musicians played from the floor. And as gigs often go with praise band musicians, we are called up and down constantly throughout the time as we're doing sets. And the very first set that we played, I'm thinking about all day and I'm psyching myself up as I am setting up my kit and everything like that. And the person who's running the the event calls up the praise team and I get up from my table and I charge at the stage and I bound up the stairs to my kit And the stairs say, not so fast, buddy. And I just about face plant into my bass drum. What a way to start a music career. And a a career of being up in front of people. I don't ever want to try and top that again. We all probably have some similar equivalent experience where it feels like our ego just face plants. Speaking of challenges that everybody experiences and nobody sees coming, Sometimes stairs qualify, as I demonstrated that night my sophomore year. But some challenges are far more divisive, far more dangerous, far more subtle than a set of steps. Let's pray together. God, this day, through your word that has such incredible power, transform us. Turn us just even a little bit more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the passage I have today is a story, and it's probably a familiar story, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen because I want you to hear it as a story. It comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed in Jerusalem. And late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking along the roof of his palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger. He sent someone to find out who it was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. 
she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> so then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah, her husband, arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. And then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. And when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk, but even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I get that I'm stopping that story halfway through. It gets more and more soap opera-ish as it goes along. But the fact is, David got the girl. What could be embarrassing about that? Maybe we can even relate a little bit or empathize a little bit with David's situation. Not to say that it's right or wrong, but just to say that it's human. Think about it. David has been a shepherd his whole life. So his whole life, he's been fighting lions and bears. And so long as he didn't get mauled, he's probably in really good shape. He's a king, which just about speaks for itself, and he is called, considered, a man after God's own heart, done right by everybody who looks at him from a faith perspective. Everything says, I can have whatever I want, because I'm David, right? Absolutely, says his ego, says his pride, and down goes David, down goes David. Welcome to the one challenge that can drop us all. Weak, strong, big, little. It's so easy to spot pride. I can't even understand how in the world it's such a challenge for us. Or let me take another run at that. It's so easy to spot pride in others. Piece of cake. I mean, that's faith 101. The know-it-all in kindergarten who is no fun in kindergarten and even less fun in adult life. There's the person who has to one-up everybody in the room and won't stop until they are seen as the best that there is. The person who is entirely obsessed with themselves, even if there's not all that much to be obsessed with. Certainly, the world has narcissists in it. Those that, when we use the word pride, we often think of those who think they are God's gift to the world. There was one that fit that bill, Jesus. So if narcissism is your thing, let's end this sermon at just go check yourself into a clinic because you are beyond my ability to help you. 
The good thing is, knowing many of your stories and knowing many of your personalities and just knowing you guys, that's not the issue for just about everybody I know in this room, thankfully. But pride can be this virus that not only infects all the different areas of our lives and different facets of our lives, but like a virus, it can morph and it can take on different ways of presenting itself many of which are what make it such a challenging thing. And so easy to see in somebody else is so hard to see in ourselves. They have a word for that. Pride. And speaking of, let's get back to the drum story. You know, speaking of pride, let's you know, get back to what happened to me. Imagine, if you will, what was running through my head, and I can just tell you, as my face gets this close to my drum in front of 100 people. Wow, did I just do that? Did I just embarrass myself like that? What do all these people that I've been trying to be friends with think of me now? What kind of moron do I look like? I was stuck in my head. I'm still learning how to get out of it. But I was obsessed with looking at myself. They have a word for that too. Pride. Does not just always show up in, I'm the greatest thing in the world. But it is that challenge that can hit just about everybody. The good thing is there are signs, warning signs, traits, if you will, that can help us notice when we are getting stuck in our heads. And when we are, because we get stuck in our heads and, and start everything starts pointing in, we start obsessing about ourselves. And we start suffering from this virus called pride. So take a look at a couple of those things that can be red flags for us and how we can beat them, how we can nip them in the bud before they get us. The first one, that you compare yourself with others. This can go in a lot of different ways because it is natural to compare ourselves with others, especially when we're dealing with apples and apples. You get into a, a room of teachers, you try and figure out where you sit in the pecking order. You get in a room of anybody. You try and see where you fit into the pecking order. Now, a healthy person can do this and think of it as a way of, how can I learn from these people that are around me? How can I grow from these people that are around me? An unhealthy person, where pride's getting the better of them here, looks at it and goes, am I better than anybody? And tries to find how to climb their way up that pecking order. I may not be the PhD in the room, but... I'm smarter than that person. Okay, good. I'm, I'm better than somebody. I'm all right now. I may not be rolling up here into church in a BMW, but I'm better than her clunker over there. Thank God that I am not like this tax collector. Yes, pride even hit the biblical times out of Luke 18, when this man who had probably all the status that David did is praying and says, thank God I am not like, this sinner, and God accepted the sinner over the Pharisee. There is a lot of sin in comparison. So how do we beat it? Keep your notebook open. Take the chance to learn from anybody around you, no matter how their resume compares with yours. Can you learn from somebody who is a generation or two or maybe even three younger than you? Absolutely. We were talking about last week when we were talking about learning and becoming familiar with culture. Can the person who is 20 years in a company learn from 
the guy who is just starting out? Absolutely. Because they might be able to bring a different perspective that you haven't seen. But it requires humility to do that. To be able to learn from other people who may, on the surface, look like they're under you. It takes realizing that the world doesn't revolve around us. So what's another sign that can help us to catch pride before it catches us? Maybe this one strikes a nerve with some. Your self-worth is determined by your last performance. Guilty, I know. Oftentimes, yeah, this can play out in a job or a career, but that's not the only arena where this can happen. Maybe your last performance is the last meal that you cooked. Did you get it right or did you burn it? Maybe your last performance is the state of your house the last time you had company over. Maybe your last performance is how witty were you in that last conversation you had with somebody. And it gets you stuck in that cycle that's in your head. As you start to ask these questions and you start to build who you are becomes how you did. Your identity gets wrapped up in your performance. Your value becomes wrapped up in your performance. And Tim Keller says that when your performance, he uses the word work, but performance fits just as well, so I'm going to stick that in there. When performance is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. I don't know how many gigs I have played where I've blown it. And the whole drive home, I'm stuck in my head, beating myself up over it. How many sermons I've given that I've blown it. More than even many of you guys would most critical of you might even want to think. And I drive home, and all afternoon, I'm running it through my head and running it through my head and, and stuck in that cycle. So how do we snap out of that? We get brutally honest with God. The fact is, our identity is based not on what we do, but what he has done. Our identity is taken care of, was written I guess I could say written in stone 2,000 years ago, or written in wood on something shaped like that. Spend some time in the book of Ephesians. And the cool thing is, if you have a Bible, you got the book of Ephesians for free. It just sort of comes along with it. I mean, package deal. And you get 65 others on top of it. Better deal do you get than that. But it is a letter written entirely talking about our identity in Christ, who our loving Father says we are. And you know what? It has nothing to do with how the last gig went, how the last meal turned out, how witty the last conversation was. It has nothing to do with that. So what's one more sign that we can't celebrate somebody else's success? Now, somehow we come up with this idea that if somebody else wins, then that automatically means I must have lost. We make this zero-sum game out of success, out of things to celebrate. Now, there is a place, understandably, where accomplishments, things that we do, we want to get to celebrate it. We hear that Ethan graduates from college. That's worth celebrating. And he deserves to have, want to be able to celebrate that. But when we look at it and think, you know what? If we celebrate Ethan's graduation, then that means there's not enough celebration left for what I do or what I accomplish. And that starts to create a problem. Maybe even worse, we think, I deserve to be celebrated. I deserve to be honored, recognized. It's probably where David fell into things. 
into his problems. He was king. He probably thought, I deserve Bathsheba, as wrong as that mentality is. But that's what pride can do. And Uriah, on the other hand, said, you know what? I don't deserve to be able to celebrate something or to relax while my men are out in the field. He had a humility to him. Even though he was a leader, he said, you know what? I'm not going to take the corner office when my men are putting their lives on the line. And ultimately, the fact that Uriah had that kind of integrity for David, it spiraled down. And ultimately, he ended up getting Uriah murdered. So how do we nip this in the bud? How do we deal with celebrating what somebody else does, even if it means that the spotlight isn't on us? Or maybe even because the spotlight's not on us. Never lose your gratitude. Let me use our vertical relationship with God as an example here. If we recognize and acknowledge that everything that we have is a gift from God, the next step, it is not very difficult to put the spotlight on God. To say God deserves the thanks, God deserves the credit, and spotlight on God, limelight on God. When we thank God for those gifts, that's what we do. We put the spotlight on God. So when we have our horizontal relationships, you know, people among people, what if we did the same kind of thing? What if we thanked other people in their roles that help us in our accomplishments? Because we don't all, you know, accomplish things on our own. I'm going to stick with the idea of Ethan and his graduation, just to have one engine that's going to drive this. If Ethan, at his graduation party, says, hey, thanks, Grandma, for always having my back. Thanks, Mom, for always encouraging me when I test day. Thanks to my students and, my, and friends for getting together with me for dinner at the dining hall when, I was, you know, when we were all exhausted from exams. So it's thanking those that are around him for something that he got the credit for then all of a sudden it's not difficult to start acknowledging people in their accomplishments and ultimately to be able to celebrate their accomplishments. Celebrate what they do. Give them the spotlight for a little while. So this week, practice that habit of giving thanks to God for the gifts that he gives. Even if we have to stretch it a little bit to say, God, thank you for letting me breathe. Thank you for letting my heart beat. Thank you for letting me have my eyes open. Real basic stuff, even if you got to start there. Because not only does it help foster humility, because relative to God, we all ought to have a little bit of humility. It not only fosters humility, but it helps to get you out of your head. Helps get you out of that cycle. And it gives back that life and that joy that pride steals from us. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.